Good evening. Hello, everyone. God bless you all who have joined us. It is so good to have you this evening. Uh, I'm so glad that you're here. And I welcome you to Wow, What a Show. This is indeed the live podcast outreach of Rehoboth Institute of the Arts. And uh, I am the host, Phyllis, for the evening. Uh, this evening, you're going to be a little disappointed. I hope not too, too much. But Anna had a, an emergency. Uh, she has to prepare for something very special on the morrow with regards to her job and therefore had to um, uh, ask to be um, <laughs> excused for the evening. And that's just fine because things do come up. So we are here and I am operating in her stead because it was a rather uh, last minute um, uh, understanding. And so we had to, you know, uh, juggle quite quickly. And so in my um, prayer uh, about what to do, I remembered that she referenced a very fine poem that was written by my uh, another person. Koki uh, Fisher was the uh, official pseudonym of the writer. And uh, so I was going to kind of analyze that poem with you and let you see. But uh, again, many things do come up and because stuff is filed away for years and years and years, right? Trying to put your hands on it at the last minute is sometimes a daunting prospect. And I actually also was not able to do that. And so as I walked and I talked and I'm thinking, Lord, 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 um, it comes to me again right out of the blue and just like the Lord to speak through that moment of what shall be done. He always knows. And so we are so really grateful for that. And before I get into the evening, I want to acknowledge one more time that Wow What a Show is all about recognizing in each new day that that day does indeed show forth the glory of God as it is written in Psalm 19. Just one of those Psalms. I would never say that any part of scripture is my favorite, but the Lord has used that Psalm to deliver me from the mood swing that I experienced for years when there was a cloudy day. I am a sunshine. <laughs> oh, please bring the sunshine kind of girl. I do not like, I didn't like cloudy days and overcast days. For some reason, it would always make me feel um, that I was, or that was like a, a, a sort of a what, a darkness that overhung the world and I just didn't like it. Maybe I was born in the sunshine month of August and I spent my life playing and being outside on those beautiful days. And then during the winter months, I was always cozied up to my parents and in warm spaces with my brothers and sisters. So I always felt, you know, like I was cocooned by that. Um, nope. Okay. Cocooned dreams. We, <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking of you when I say that. Um, and so when that disappeared out of my life and I had to live on my own, those days remind what made me feel like I was alone and, you know, whatever. So it goes on and on and on. But when I did started to, um, uh, recite Psalm 19, that gloom has lifted. And the Lord's deliverance is so miraculous. Uh, we never know that it is happening, and yet it's happening all the time. So I begin by saying, the heavens declare the glory of God. Day unto day utter speech, night unto night shows knowledge, and the firmament shows his glory. And I, now I haven't said it for a while, so now I got the order crazy, but that's what it is. Um, the heavens declare the glory. The firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utter speech. Night unto night knowledge. And uh, there is no place where the speech is not heard. God's glory is just expressed to every man on every 
uh, corner uh, in every region, every uh, temperature, every everything in the whole wide world. And remember, I did indeed do a little um, presentation on how the, the idea of there never being any night is also a demonstration that we see in the world, in the glory that is expressed day by day. Because there are places in the world where there are six months of daylight, right? And even longer, you know, we go through all these zones that I looked at. I was really quite surprised. I knew that in the far northern, uh, I don't know, what is that? Maybe Norway, whatever that land, that region is called. I don't, I don't remember anymore. But uh, that the phenomenon of these long days in the winter are are prevalent, right? And then at the pole, the the, the South Pole, I think in particular, and that there these people are exposed to not only uh, these long days, but the glory of God is expressed again through the northern lights and the amazing things that happen in that daylight, right? It's just. For, I mean, it's just amazing. And I'm sorry, I didn't study, study it. You know, I just looked it up and read through it. And through the years, I've looked at it. But if you'd made a study of that, you would be quite, quite astounded at how uh, diverse the day is throughout the world. And I believe that God has uh, previewed, he's given us a preview of things eternal in this world, because it was never uh, created to dis, you know, disintegrate or go away. And even the word tells us he's going to purify it. So it, it's not going to escape anything. You know, we're going to still have the earth, so to speak. I mean, I think I get this right. But um, that the declaration of the fact that his glory is exposed to us day by day, has has totally delivered me from that other thing that I was going through all the days of my life. And I don't know that anybody ever knew it. I never told anyone, but I sure would say to the Lord, after so many days of rain and overcast, you know, I would just cry out and say, Lord, I need some sunshine. And you all, I'm telling you, the miracle of his love was that he would probably give me Five minutes of sunshine. Ah, it was amazing. I would be so, uh, I would just get tickled that God would actually <laughs> heed my complaining and give me a respite, a moment to be relieved from the feeling of doom. And so it brings us tonight to uh, what I shall try to do uh, in this very short space of time that I've had to prepare it. Um, I shall try to look into the life of Jesus Christ. This is the redemptive power of God. Uh, his love was expressed in Jesus Christ. And Jesus came and walked on the face of the earth. In Anna's analysis of the cultivation of the character of Jane Eyre in that wonderful novel, Jane Eyre by Charlotte Bronte, she has put forth two issues that faced Jane in her life and that I see and understand, and I hope you do as well, face us all. The first one was, of course, rejection. But before I get into it again, I want to preface it by saying we're going to look at the life of Jesus Christ and see, just like in this psalm, how when you get it under your under your belt, you know, when you really, really get the word in you and you begin to comprehend by the spirit what the word is really saying to you, things get clearer. You become a little more um, what is it? <clears throat> Comfortable with what God is doing in your life and what he has done in your life. Also, what he has done in the whole world for the whole world. And so the uh, idea of us looking tonight at Jesus Christ as a just, you know, it's just kind of like a period for, or, or comma, I'm sorry, uh, so that, you know, when Anna comes back, she will pick up and take us through the other points that she's going to make. And I am so very grateful for the work that she's done here because I have been really fastened to her words. Um, the idea of rejection is something that I also suffered and probably 
all of us have suffered. But when we look at Jesus, right, and we, we look at how he uh, had to endure these issues of life, so to speak, then we are encouraged in this, that if he loved us enough to endure it, and not just one, but a whole, uh, you know, platter full of, of experiences that were not comfortable, that wouldn't be comfortable for you nor for I. We are not only encouraged that he died to take upon himself what we would do in the face of such issues. Like, you know, when you're rejected, the, the expression goes, hurt people, hurt people, right? So rejection is very painful. Rejection is hard to endure. Many people cannot go through it uh, and and maintain a level of, uh, you know, mental uh, stability. But Jesus Christ indeed did. And he did it with such elegance and royalty and, like you know, uh, confidence that we are as his children, born again of his spirit, we look at it and we are first enamored by it. We are in awe of what he did. And then if we come to know him and are uh, actually uh, receive the salvation that he's given us, not only are we in awe and not only do we admire, but we are empowered now by his spirit to endure even not to the degree that he did, but as he did, he went through it. And the Bible tells us in the book of um, Hebrews, in, in the chapter, fourth chapter, verse 15, we do not have a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. For in all points, such as we, he was tempted and yet without sin, now, that is a scripture that, you know, I came to when I guess I was a, a teenager. And as a teenager, you don't really understand. I didn't really understand to the depths of of my, you know, the, the spiritual um, depths of understanding what exactly the words were imparting to me. But still, those words caught my attention. And these words walk with you all your life. And whether or not you are in the moment, right, uh, delivered, or if you don't receive the spiritual depths of it, God's word is living and therefore it's walking with you. You think you're walking with it. Maybe if you memorize it, you know, and you're able to quote it and all that stuff. But if you, you're you not living it out necessarily all the time, I didn't live it out. I knew it, but I wasn't living it out. But as we live and go through the particular um, issues and we're facing those things and we are embattled or embattled by just the issues of life, the word of God works it out in you. See, I think God's word is miraculous. And I often use the uh, this uh, analogy of the uh, water that permeates the cell membrane. The cell membrane is very, uh, what's the word? Um, uh, oh my gosh, I'm losing the word. In, uh, in other words, everything cannot get past it. It's very discriminating. You just everything just can't pass the cell, our cell membrane. I'm talking about the internal body, right in our bodies. That that is selective, but water can. It seeps through like no other uh, thing. I think there's nothing else to do it. Now, you guys out there, if you're in biology, please correct me. But that that. Um, that water can, that's, that is a process called osmosis. And I believe with all my heart that God's word has the property that is possessed there. It is osmotic in its miraculous uh, seeping through our very core to transform us and make us more like Jesus Christ, to deliver us from all our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness when we come to Christ, when we are made aware by the Spirit that we are indeed needy like that, His Word 
works in us. And that is a, a, a most miraculous thing because if you ever met people who are uh, convinced in their way, determined in their own uh, minds, then let me tell you how uh, changing that mind, <laughs> one human being changing the, another human being's mind is not an easy task. At least that has been my experience. So we're looking at Jesus Christ. And uh, she she brought out the first theme or point that she's um, uh, based this, you know, this research on. And the first one was rejection. And wouldn't that just be it? Jane from a child was rejected by those very people who should have loved her. She was the niece of the woman who ended up having to raise her because her parents died when she was young. And her father, the aunt was the father's uh, sister, the father had asked the aunt to raise her like she was her own, to protect and love Jane and to keep her. And the woman said she would, but she played favorites. And so Jane was an outcast and she was uh, rejected of this family to the degree that she was sent away to a school and uh, sent with a wrong impression of who she really was as a child, outspoken, precocious, all of that, perhaps very true, as most young children are. However, she was not a liar. She was not disrespectful, but the woman allowed her children to uh, do this. Anyway, so Jane was rejected. Now, let's juxtapose Jane's rejection with the rejection of Christ. Remember, it was prophesied of Jesus Christ, and we see this prophecy written in the book of Isaiah, chapter 53. If you want to turn to it, of course you could. And, um, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, we are going to kind of read that starting in uh, verse 3. And I think I probably will stop in verse 3 as well. Let's see, Isaiah, yes, before Jeremiah. And we go to uh, chapter 53. It's a very long uh, book. It's the longest prophetic book in the Bible. It contains more, uh, so many prophecies of the coming of Christ Jesus, his life and all that. And uh, so uh, Isaiah is a real, you know, it's an amazing, wonderful book, full, full, full of many verses that you'd like to put to memory. But this one is surely one that we probably have all heard. It has been um, uh, scored uh, uh, music in the uh, amazing 28-day written um, work of Handel, the Messiah, and uh, Isaiah 53 writes, I'm going to start at verse one, as a matter of fact, who hath believed our report and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. But surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. That is a most famous quote from this book and embedded right there, right in the middle, he was despised and rejected of men. Despised and rejected. A man of sorrows, a man of grief. He had no comeliness, no beauty. 
that we would want to or desire him. Because, you know, we are very moved by our what we see with these old earthly temporal eyes. And so beauty attracts. But those things which we do not, uh, you know, identify as beautiful do not attract. We reject. And just now, as I'm, I'm reading that scripture, I'm seeing Jane as this little figure of rejection. Not only was she rejected in that home, but she was then sent to a place to be uh, educated, and the rejection continued. And there she met someone, another young a girl. And I don't know if the quote is from the book or from the, the film. I I um, am reading the book again, of course, and I've read through a lot of it, so I, I get it kind of confused. But the young girl, her friend Helen, was in that place a mentor to Jane, a mentor to Jane's uh, spiritual upbringing. And she said to Jane, as Jane was saying, what will we do when we get out of here, Helen? And she says, well, our families have sent us off to fend for ourselves. But if we work hard and uh, we, we will, you know, bring ourselves up to the place where we can find work after we leave, we can get out of here. And so Jane says, what will we do when we get out? And she says, we will advertise and that 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 those words are uh, carried Jane uh, through to the to end up where she really ended up. In her rejection, though, she received this counsel, and she looked at this young friend of hers, and she loved her. And uh, so uh, Helen is a figure of I say, and Anna is going to you know get me on this. I, I'm not trying to. Uh, you know, share her her work, or she's done a far more extensive uh, exploration of this than I have. But in in the in that rejection, she finds love. She found a model. She found a picture of hope, and her desperation uh, became hope to the degree that. She ends up as a school, you know, she goes on. And then the, the story, of course, it's a love story. Of course, it's a love story. And I wonder if Charlotte Bronte did not actually um, uh, model Jane after uh, the, the sinner. We are sinners. We are born sinners. And in our state of sin, we are, are we reject and we are rejected. Not in the same way. It's not a parallel directly, but it is a state of being. We, uh, you know, we're not necessarily rejected by our parents. Sometimes we are, but when you go off to school, I mean, I have, I, I just read a biography of a young young student, and his rejection was so acute. And this is a real story, to the degree that he was pressed to follow because he was so trying to be. Uh, accepted and a part of. And that has happened up close and personal in my own family. I've experienced that on a small level, but someone that I love very dearly experienced it on a much larger level. So in this rejection, you are drawn in um, perhaps by the emptiness of soul and enticed in ways that could lead you down a dark corridor for a season. But if the foundation of Christ is introduced early enough, and if that picture a good Christian life, right, and faith is laid in that pathway as well, chances are that person will survive the rejection. And Jesus Christ shows us in his walk in the earth, he was despised and he was rejected. And yet around him, he had those who truly did love him. He had um, Mary Magdalene, when she was touched by his love, loved him in return. 
the disciples, those 12 that he called, save one, when he loved them, they cared for him in return. Not to the fullness that we would have wanted them to, but they became the actual conduits through which the gospel lived and was delivered to the rest of the world. I think that um, sometimes in our quest to make ourselves feel good and to make others accept it and feel good, we step beyond what is really a very um, cleansing and uh, saving experience because we don't allow people to go through their own hurt and their pain. Now, I don't mean that there should be no sympathy or empathy. I do not mean that we should reject, not at all. But I believe that a rock in in the loving arms of anybody, when we are going through that, is very healing. We cannot, in our decision-making or in spoiling a person, we cannot um, kind of prevent a person or people from going through things because it's life. And, and we try so hard sometimes to the detriment of our own, what, uh, moral basis, okay? And and I, so I'm, I'm talking about something that I just heard this evening, but I'm not going to get into that. But life is is going to deliver to us many, many um, distractions, uh, many uh, experiences that... Uh, don't put us at the center of it, so we're not always you're going to feel happy and laughing, and you know just everything is hunky dory. But if we, as those who already know Christ, as was done for us, if we lay the foundations before our children early, then when they come to those crossroads, when they come to those places where they would be. A fully, fully, uh, you know, lost, abandoned, almost in with to themselves by themselves. That foundation will stand up and hold them very well, because that is what God does. He does not forsake. He doesn't leave. And when Jesus Christ prayed, He said, "All thine are mine." and mine are thine, and of those that you gave me, I lost not one. See, he doesn't let us go. And um, I say this to my own uh, learning, and and I'm kind of chastising myself a bit. I hate to watch anybody hurt. It's just very hard for me to do that. I... Um, I will overgive, overdo, over everything to try and keep people from hurting. And if I can see the road that they're taking is going to end up in a very bad place, I do an awful lot of pulling and praying and crying and talking and pulling and praying and crying and talking. And it comes to me after a while, all this and for what? They go anyway. So I was at the little shop, you know, I share a shop with a friend in a place called the Collingwood Auction. And we get many visitors there uh, who just stop in and talk with us. And I've, I've befriended a man who's, um, he's a, quite a phenomenal person to me. I really admire this man. So he was telling me, you know, that he spent a, a, a lot of his life as a criminal. He said he wanted to be a criminal, right? He's, a, he's an older guy, too. He's not a young man, at, not at all. Um, he's in his early old age, I'll put it that way. But very virile, very, um, what is the word, very energetic, right? And very much a, a, a person who is analyzing not only his life, but the society in which he lives. And so he's taken up the cause of uh, injustice and discrimination amongst people. So he stopped in this weekend and he was talking with me, right? And he starts to tell me all these marvelous things that he's done 
in his career, which he had never mentioned his career. I've known him now for about three, four, maybe, I don't know, maybe six months, maybe longer. I'm not sure. And so he's telling me, I I got the feeling based on what he was, you know, said to me previously that he had had a, a life that was, you know, rather, I don't know, lost in the sauce, kind of, so to speak. But then he's telling me about his work, his career, etc. And he's, and I said, well, my goodness, when did you have time for crime? And he stopped and he said, oh, let me tell you, though, it was there. It was, it was really there. And he said, but tell me, why do we have to do that other thing? And the other thing that he was talking about was a criminal. Why do we have to go out and spend our lives, spend that time doing what is not good only to arrive at the opposite pole of that. And I looked at him, and so I said, well, I almost said the right thing, but instead I said this thing. I said, "Um, somebody has to know the world so that they will be able to do exactly what you are doing. So he's like a one-man drum drummer. You know, he's like a band, a whole band. Uh, he's the drummer. He's the um, the the trombonist. He's the bass player. He's the he just pipes out uh, these uh, sayings, you know. And he's on the cause and taking up the cause, and he's in defense of, and he is, you know, slashing, and he was getting ready at that point to go out and really make some noise about something that was happening outside. You all are making a lot of noise around me. I'm sorry. I keep hitting stuff because I'm cold and then I'm hot. But uh, so the point, though, is that we are born sinners. And so whether or not our lives look clean or they look dirty. We are all born sinners. And if it looks clean, it's because we've very well covered the dirt with the superficial. But you cannot hide the illness of the soul. And that illness is sin. You can't hide it. Hard as you may try, as much as you may laugh, as smooth as you may talk, And all the good deeds in the world do not hide the illness of the man's nature. Not any man. And yes, we look at some people and they do great things and we say, oh, what a great person. And in the greatness of what they did, they are great. But in the soul, unless we have repented and come to Jesus Christ, that soul is sick. And the fallout of rejection is one of the ways that we show that sickness. So last week, um, Anna read, you know, from from Jane Eyre, this um, outburst that Jane had when the the aunt sends for this uh, minister to come and take her away to this school. And the aunt, uh, the, the, the man asks her, are you a deceiver or you what you know what you're gonna do is <laughs> such a cute stuff. I hope you all are watching this this film. But uh she just lashes into the aunt and tell her if she was a liar. She's not a liar, she said, but if she was a deceitful, she would say that her aunt loved her. But if she said that, she would tell her, and, and it's the truth. I mean she was telling the truth, but a little ten year old girl being that precocious, you know, was not looked at favorably. We're talking about not even the 20th century, but the 19th century. So quite a few uh, years back, certain things just were never tolerated in Christian society. Even though the people were nowhere close to Jesus Christ, they were they were um, in their own way interpreting what those the behaviors of, of people who believe in God should be. So rejection will cause us to do many things that are not good. But when we look at the life of Christ, when we look at Jesus Christ, and we see his rejection of his own people, the Jewish people, and of those spiritual leaders, those rabbis who conspired to see to it that he went to that cross. But the Bible says when they asked him certain questions, he said not even one word. He did not come to his own defense. 
There's only one time that I recall. And you say you're the son of God. And he said, you have so said. You've said it. It is true. He didn't say it like I'm saying it, but he did respond to that one. Right? Because he cannot deny himself. God cannot deny himself. So if rejection is an issue in your life still, if you have been rejected and have not been delivered from the fallout of it all, if you are being rejected and are dealing with the sickness, the very, what is it, that there's a deterioration within that comes when you are so harshly treated. I say to you, and I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, that you will receive the love of God and the acceptance of God, that you will understand that without his love, nobody really can ever be healed. And that when he sent Jesus Christ to endure the pains of all justified or unjustified that we um, do to, to, you know, avenge ourselves, that love covers even that. And you are accepted in the beloved. So that rejection that you feel in the world turns to full acceptance in the kingdom. And the embrace of God is all around you. You will never feel that from the Lord. He loves us completely. And I love the word of God in that while we were yet enemies against him, you see, you see, guys, we were enemies. When you walk in disobedience and opposition to God himself, you are indeed at enmity with him. But he still died for our sins. What greater love is there to know? Not any greater, and definitely not in this world, to know that kind of love. We are rejected of um, sometimes parents, sometimes siblings, uh, sometimes good friends we thought were good friends, sometimes wives, sometimes husbands, hmm. teachers, even clergy, people we're in fellowship with, people we've done good for. Rejection will come. And if it doesn't, excuse me, you are the blessed among us because it has certainly been that I've experienced it myself. And sometimes you just don't know what to do with that rejection. You're just stunned by the rejection. But God is there to embrace you, love you, and make you know that the rejection does not cast you away from the good thing that he has done. Not just in dying for us, and that's paramount, that is number one, but that he made you, he created you, and he gave you life and has sustained you. And so you come to know him, right, in the pardon of your own sins. And you know, guys, when you take a good look in the mirror at your own sins, when you really see yourself uh, as you really are before salvation comes and washes you clean, you actually can begin to um, forgive those who wrong you and those who don't love you. I was thinking today about um, sometimes people uh, that I've known feel like they're so in love with another human being. They just need that person and they want to know why am I not, you know, you're, you're good enough, you know, whatever. And uh, I was thinking they have not stepped back enough to recognize their own beauty, their own value and worth, and that truly they are created special for a special person. And we are lusting after something. If we just let go of the lust, you're desiring that which you cannot have. Let it go. 
and then the thing that you really do want will be manifest eventually. So in the rejection, let us look at Jesus Christ. Now, the second point that she made, that he was tempted. And that's that's all I'm going to say about rejection, just that one scripture. But it's worth reading Isaiah 53 over and over again, and then coming and reading through one of the Gospels to see how the rejection of Jesus Christ was born by him to his own glory. He bore it, he endured it, he took it. And that without having to exalt himself, and you know he could have. He did not have to brag about himself. You know he could have. He did not avenge himself. He took upon him that which he came to do, enduring and despising all of that. In other words, he he didn't come to enjoy, he didn't enjoy it, but he also did not counter the plan of God by coming uh, away from his own humility and his own decision to do what he came to do. That is a very important lesson. And somehow, if I could impart it to young people before they go down the rocky road of life, if I could somehow pour into them the faith and the understanding that they are greatly loved and that they have been shaped for God's purpose and plan, molded to do something wonderful, I think we would see so much less pain and mental instability amongst our young people. Join me in that. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask that you would put this before us and make us indeed your disciples and evangelists in the quest to save young people from the turmoil of rejection. And I thank you in Jesus' name now. So the next uh, point that I really wanted to uh, discuss that Anna brought out, and she did, the, oh, she just did a great job. I just want all those scriptures, you know, to come and minister again to me. But Jesus Christ was also tempted. Temptation. And remember, she titled that um, part of, of her presentation, it, the, the chapter in, in her work is, is, is in this temptation. In this temptation. So when temptation comes, we find ourselves entangled for a moment. It is written in Matthew uh, chapter 4, verse 4 reads, But the, he answered and he said, It is written, Men shall not live by bread alone. This is Jesus Christ being tempted by Satan. And Satan's telling him, take up that bread, you know, you uh, t- turn that stone into bread. You give, you know, you got the power to do this. And Jesus answered and said, it's written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So our necessary food is every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. We do not live by bread alone because bread, though it nourishes the physical body, it doesn't even do that anymore. It used to. Definitely, it does not nourish the spiritual body, the spiritual being. And so um, we have to have the word of God to uh, strengthen us in the in the spirit where we that's where the strength is needed and if when you are strengthened spiritually the physical life will not be a rocky rocky course it will be far smoother because the mind the spirit has charge and guides the mind which then also guides the heart and the heart is desperately wicked, it is written. Who can know it? So we do indeed need to have our spirit men strengthened and nourished. And so when you are tempted, it is also written. Um, and I'm, I'm going to look for this now. I'm so sorry. Um, where do I have it? That 
Hmm. When you are tempted, you're not tempted above what you can bear. God will make a way of escape. And so we need to, in our temptations, look for ways that the Lord has opened for us to escape. Uh, when I was in, um, uh, what is it, catechism, way back yonder when, I was uh, raised pretty much in the in Catholicism, even though my mother was a staunch Baptist, and I can remember going to church and hearing her sing. But uh, after our move, mother got disillusioned with the uh Baptist way, I suppose, and she met her her best friend was Catholic all along, but we moved away and then the priest visited. And so I was, you know, raised from early on um, as Catholic. And what we learned in catechism was the only way to avoid a sin is to avoid the occasion of of the sin. So if you know that if you're going to go down the street and around the corner and be tempted to do some things that you know you shouldn't do, we're taught don't go. Just don't go there. You shouldn't go there. And that is the truth. If you're going to avoid the sin. But I tell you, that won't move you from the temptation. That won't, uh, I'm sorry, the desire but it will give you a moment to reconsider. So 2 Timothy uh, 2, I'm going to look at that, 2.22. I uh, wish I had some help uh, in here. <laughs> but anyway, we're going to 2 Timothy, Timothy, Timothy. Uh, before 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, and it's verse 22, reads... Um, when does it read? Where is it? Flee also youthful lust. Well, if a man, uh, therefore, 21, purge himself from these, well, what are these? Um, for in a great house there are vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. Flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Now, what is being said here? It's kind of what I was saying earlier. If the foundation is laid, if you are taught early on before you start getting into all these things, we, we, we get into all this stuff, then as these temptations roll into your life, our lives, we can then turn and go in a different direction because we now have um, the knowledge of what is uh, escapable and what is um, not. And God is looking at us all the time. So <clears throat> I started in the wrong place with that. So who, it's, let's see, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection, no, 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 nevertheless, the foundation of God's strength, no, 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 let everyone that name with the name of Christ depart from iniquity. That's what, so in ninth chapter, or verse 19 of chapter 2 there, it, it, it is written, uh, let the found, nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his, and let every one that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Depart from iniquity. So everyone that nameth the name of Christ, if you know him, you can be empowered by the Spirit to depart from iniquity. And so you can flee youthful lust. And those youthful lusts are many. It is not, lust does not just deal with um, sexual sin, but it deals with the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. You know, it's all that. Those things that you desire that go beyond that which you ought 
to have. So some people lust for a good time. They lust for fine clothes. They lust for, you know, um, a great, you know, houses or status or position or affiliations. Lust goes on and on and on. But when you name the name of the Lord, when you know Christ Jesus, you put the lust in its proper place and you pursue God himself. You really want to become very much in the favor of the Lord. And, you know, you can't do, I don't think anyway, you can do this stuff on your own. I believe that the, the closer you come to Jesus Christ, the more his word is hidden in your heart. As David writes in the Psalm 119, thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. It is the word that is transforming your heart, your mind, and you then desire that which is good. It's much easier to do something that you want than to do something that you don't want to do. It's much easier to swallow something that tastes good both in the mouth and the belly than it is to you know, ingest that stuff that is only going to be good in the belly, but not in the mouth. You see what I mean? So the closer you get to the Lord or we get to the Lord, the better off we are. And so we want to do that early for young people and ourselves if we have not already gotten the um, the gist of it, so to speak. If we haven't already conquered in such a way as to deny ourselves, then uh, we might be a caught in a temptation. Now, the Bible is replete with people who were tempted, and it starts with two people who were tempted. And it was so we live out the result of their yielding to the temptation. It's not a sin to be tempted. It is a sin to yield to the temptation if the temptation is sin. So Eve was tempted. And Adam was, he was tempted by Eve, I guess, because he sure went right behind her and did what she did. Adam and Eve. Look, and you will see that in the third chapter of Genesis. Abraham by Sarah. And so Sarah goes and tells him, you know, they're waiting for the Lord to do a thing and you take my concubine and you do this thing, you know, that is just like, you know, anxiety, too, too, too much rushing, impatience. Um, let's see if that's the, the Genesis 16. Oh, we look there to see quickly if that is the right reference there. Don't want to lead anyone astray here. Just give me a moment to get there. 14, 15, 16. Uh, let's see, verse 16, 2 to 5. Two. And Sarai and Abram, behold, now the Lord hath retained me from be bear, uh, bearing. I pray thee, go unto thy maid. Yeah, he should do. Sarah told him what to do. And once again, he acted just like Adam did with Eve. He just did what she told him to do instead of standing up and said, are you kidding, kiddo? We're not doing that. We're going to wait for the promise of the Lord. And if it never come, then we won't be found, you know, in, in our sins trying to make it come. Right? You wait. If God breaks a promise, he's going to keep his promise. And if he doesn't make his promise, what I do is go and say, well, I don't think I heard right, you know, because he's not a man that he should lie. God never, ever breaks a promise. And therefore, uh, but there he did. He yielded again to the temptation to go into his, that, that maid, her maid, and bear that son. And I declare, I do believe that the conflict that we are experiencing in the world in the Middle East right now is linked to the pain that was caused by that woman when she was cast out by Sarai or Sarah at that point. Well, no, it wasn't. She was still Sarai at that point. Okay, so that was another temptation. Joseph was tempted by Potiphar's wife, and he did not yield to that temptation. He did indeed run away from that situation and got to spend, what, 14 years or 15 or something in prison 
for doing the right thing. So you won't always be rewarded as you would want to be or as I would want to be for doing the right thing. Because I'm telling you, there's a propensity to do the wrong thing in the world. The world trends sometimes in the, the wrong way. So sometimes you have to stand alone and you have to bear the uh, consequences of that. Um, definitely, Samson was, oh my goodness, what a sad story. That is Samson tempted by Delilah. You know, Samson, Samson, where is your strength? He kept, she kept asking him. And he finally, but he was already tempted because he had no business being down there with those Philistines and with this woman. He was never supposed to do what he did. And so he broke after so long and uh, she was able to subdue him and therefore he was taken captive. His eyes were put out and in his repentance, he fulfilled the role of his calling. He was a child born to do, he was a judge in Israel born to take care and he did indeed destroy those Philistines, but at what cost? Because he yielded to temptation. And then, oh my goodness, Ahab by his wife Jezebel, she could just get him to do anything too. These are stories you should read. That's in First Kings. And then Job wanted that his his wife wanted him to curse God and die. He did not yield. Um, then um, uh, there are more here. Oh yeah, Herod, the Herodian's daughter went out and danced the dance and it's silly. Herod offered her, uh, told her, you know, for, for her dance, she could have whatever she wanted up to half of his kingdom or something like that. And she asked for the head of John the Baptist. And that is the death of the great John the Baptist. Right. Um, and then Esau was, you know, tempted and failed prey to Jacob's uh, ploy there. Mm. And it goes on and on and on. And if you go through your own life and see where you've been tempted and how you have uh, been subdued by the temptation, you will find that uh, it, it's, it's actually easily done. People say, come on, let's go do this. And come on, let's go do that. And you even sometimes you dread, dread wanting to do the thing, but you'll do it. Anyway, you know, just kind of give in and go on and do some things, right, that, that we don't want to do. And we look back and then we have to suffer the consequences of the decisions that we make. So there it is. Those are the two points that uh, Anna had brought. And she did a, a really phenomenal job uh, in um, giving us references in, in the word. Right. And remember, the word of God washes us and makes us clean. So when we spend time in God's word, the transformation that makes us spiritual children of God happens. It really does. And that I'm telling I, I, I somebody can correct me, but I don't think you have to just kind of make yourself be this person. I just think you have to spend a whole lot of time. And by thinking, when I say I think, it is what I know from my own life. For example, um, I was sanct I am being sanctified, but when when the process of sanctification really got very intense in my life, I only uh, would just, um, whenever I thought the Lord was calling me to be with him, I just was there. Yeah, I mean, even till today, you know, but it, 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 the intensity changes, the level of intensity changes. It's a different kind of being with the Lord. Now it's constant and always, but in the beginning, it was like definite times, mid morning, you know, when I say mid morning, I mean, when the day starts at six in the evening, it's fasting and praying as God calls you for how many ever days he calls you to do it. It is sitting and just combing through his word with prayer and allowing him to reveal himself there. It's putting the scripture before your eyes so that when you walk, you are not forgetting. It is praying always and saying, bring to my remembrance, Lord God, those things where I am weak and I need to be careful. It's your time with the Lord. It's my time 
with him. We are strengthened, greatly strengthened, and our transformation is sure. May the Lord our God give us, just make us who we ought to be in him. Bring us ever so nearer to becoming the very children that we, we know that we are. You know, we are uh, called out of darkness into light. We are transformed in mind and heart. We are the born again children of the almighty wonderful God. And I um, just pray that somehow in tonight's um, presentation, you have received something that you can take, right? That will <clears throat> increase your a relationship and faithfulness to the Lord. And that if temptation or rejection has been or is an issue that you are struggling with, that you will take heed to the word of God and understand and know first that he's made a way of escape and that you are accepted in the beloved and there is no greater love than that you can know in this earth than from God himself. And he is steady on. He's consistent. He does not change. And with that, I am so grateful for all of you who have joined me tonight and, you know, have been patient. Um, may the Lord our God give you a great, great reward. By the way, he is our great reward. You know, there's no better one. And the more you are with the Lord and experience his wonder, which is why I think you have to do it for yourself. You know, it's, it's one thing to hear a good sermon. That's one thing. And, 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 it's, and it's beneficial. But there is nothing like being in his presence. Just you and, you and the Lord. Just being there. You and him. Cut off from anything else. No other distractions. With him by the Spirit pouring into you what you never would hear if you just sit and listen to sermons forever. The Lord speaks. The Lord is real. He's real. And he lives in his word. Spend time there alone and be loved and be loved and embraced and cared for and cuddled and coddled like never before. He's all that. He's so good. Thank you all so very much for coming. And I must say everybody's name, Shreese B, Miss Reams, Miss Light Touch, um, Miss Equa, Minta, Miss, oh, Pastor John Thomas, um, Tony, Tony Richie, hi there. You've been on my mind, Miss Shine, Pristy, and anyone that I have missed, may God bless you, Light Touch. Thank you so much. You all are the uh, beauty of the Fellowship of Rehoboth Institute's podcast and uh, our live podcast here. Wow, what a show. You are, by the way, also a declaration of the glory of God when I am with his children and I observe the many gifts and the beauty that the Lord has bestowed upon his church by calling the varied uh, kinds of personalities and, you know, gifts and all that within. He is glorified in my life. And I appreciate you ever so much. As always, he set a table before us and we dine on the beauty of what he has brought. So I say go rejoicing and enjoy him day in and day out. Wherever you are in the world, I ask the Lord to declare to you his glory so that you are sure that you are sure and you know above anything else that you know that he is the God of all creation and that he loves you like no one else ever could with an unconditional love and an everlasting love. I thank you again and see you next time. Be blessed in the Lord. Bye-bye.